It doesn't matter why you're training calisthenics. Let it be for health. Let it be because you enjoy the movement. Let it be because you want to look cool in front of your friends. Or simply because you're trying to get bigger. One thing we all have in common. We enjoy being good. We enjoy getting better at what we're doing. And at the essence of calisthenics, getting better means getting stronger. What exactly does it mean to get stronger? How do we get stronger? And well, how can we get stronger as efficiently as possible using calisthenics style training is exactly the topic for today's episode. Welcome to Hansen's and the Rest. I'm your host, Coach Bachmann. Today's episode is going to be a guide on how you can train calisthenics efficiently for strength development and how you can support this training with everyday lifestyle choices. We're first going to establish what strength actually means, what are different types of strength within your body when it comes to training, and then we're going to work our way through establishing what needs to happen to build strength and what you can do then every day to implement these principles of strength building into your daily training. The first question we gotta ask is, what actually is strength? Muscular strength happens within your body. When we get stronger, there are structural and neural adaptations. For an example, if you can do 10 push-ups today, and next week you can do 12 push-ups, you got stronger. Strength is not as linear though. You don't just get stronger. Many factors have to happen inside of your body and your daily performance does depend on many things such as your level of recovery, general health, sleeping patterns, nutrition, and all of these kind of things. Important to understand here from the start is that strength is a performance-based outcome, meaning we're not trying to just measure what happens inside of your body. We're trying to look at numbers and repetitions and these need to go up. You need to get better at something and that will be a clear sign that you are getting stronger. To actually analyze what happens within your body when we get stronger, let's look at the example of pushing a shopping cart at a store. You're walking up to the cart, you're grabbing the cart. Now you wanna just push it down the aisle. So your brain is gonna send signals to your arms to extend. Easy peasy. Let's say the shopping cart is full of yummy groceries, like the good stuff, vegetables, lean protein, all the stuff we need for muscle building anyways but also the brakes are broken. So the car doesn't wheel very well, right? Now this means that the brain has to send additional signals, not just to the arms, but also to the core, to the legs, to the glutes, because your entire body now has to push the car down the aisle. This means more and more the units will fire up and ultimately your body works harder, bringing up more strength. That's what happens on the outside, but let's see what actually happens on the inside of your body. As you're pushing this heavy car, your muscle fibers go under stress and we create micro tears. So basically, making very small little ribs inside of your muscles. Your body then releases inflammatory molecules, basically inflammation, and your immune system goes ahead and repairs those muscles. They're going to grow back together, stronger, bigger, and simply better. Next time you push this car, it's just gonna feel a tiny little bit less heavy. Moral of the story is really, if you wanna build muscle, if you wanna push a heavier car, you have to push your body. You need to work hard to create these micro tears to then heal those micro tears when you're not training so your body can get stronger. Everything that I'm explaining today is gonna help you maximize your strength gains, but it's really important to keep in mind in the same time that more important than the perfect plan and to overthink everything is the simple principle of working hard. As long as you're working hard and you're able to recover, you are building strength. This is how the human body works. The human body as it ascends is that simple. Important to keep in mind here is that there's the concept of use it or lose it. Basically meaning, if you push that card every day, you're using your body, your body will consistently get bigger and stronger. But if you only push this card once every two months, these gains that you made from pushing the heavy shopping cart 
or slowly going to go away again. You have to constantly keep challenging your body. And you have to even make the cart every once in a while a little bit heavier. Because as your body adjusts to this heavy cart that you're pushing, the cart will not be as challenging anymore, meaning your muscle fibers are not going to go under as much stress anymore. You're not going to have as many micro tears. And over time, as your body is fully adjusted to the weight of the car, there's no challenge at all anymore. And your muscle is going to go away, even though you're still pushing the same cart. It is important that you continuously overload this cart, that you make this cart continuously a little bit heavier once a week or once every two weeks. Now, in order for your muscle fibers to actually heal, you have to rest. But simply resting is not enough. You see, this muscle recovery process depends on many things. The main three factors for that are nutrition, hormones, and rest. Protein ingested through your diet is going to create the building block for this muscle repair process. These building blocks, in combination with hormones and sleep, are finally what's really going to heal your body, clear up those micro tears, and make your body stronger. Now, this healing process is really mainly going to happen while you're sleeping. This is why we strongly recommend that an athlete sleeps at least 5 to 6 or better even 7 to 8 hours every single night. Athletic performance and body composition strongly depend on how you sleep. And there is strong evidence that indicates that sleeping even more than 8 hours might increase athletic performance even further. Really important here is also to remember that gender and age will also play a huge factor in how efficiently and how quickly you're able to build new muscle. The last thing to establish here right away is that there is a strong difference between building muscle for strength and for hypertrophy, meaning for strength or for size. Now hypertrophy is a structural adaption of the muscle. The goal is for the muscle to get bigger. Strength, getting stronger, is not necessarily planned outcome here. The outcome is not performance-based, and exercises don't have to be as specific. Strength gains, on the other hand, are a little bit more complex. You see, they combine hypertrophy, meaning the muscle is getting bigger. If your muscle is bigger, it's able to push heavier, it's able to push harder, and with that, apply more force. On top of that, we're combining this hypertrophy with neural adaptations, or in other words, how much force the muscle is able to apply onto a joint. And last but not least, of course, technique. Technical gains often being forgotten when it comes to strength, but especially in calisthenics, that is so very important. If your technique improves, your mind-muscle connection gets better, you're creating a mechanical advantage, and you're straight away going to feel and perform significantly stronger. Really important to note here right away as well is that strength gains are highly specific. You need to not just train to get stronger, but actually to get stronger in the specific exercise that you want to get stronger in. Progressive overload is really the key term when it comes to building muscle. Progressive overload basically means stressing the muscle a little bit more every week, every month, or even every workout. Traditionally speaking, this means if you're doing bench press, you're going to add a tiny little bit more weight every time you go to the gym. You start with almost nothing, you end up with everything. That's progressive overload. You slowly get better every single time. As long as rest and recovery and all of these things around it work, theoretically, progressive overload will take you from A to C eventually. With weight training, it's very simple. In calisthenics, it can become a little bit trickier. But personally, that's why I love calisthenics, because progressive overload becomes interesting and fun. The simple way of progressively overloading your body in calisthenics is simply doing more reps. Today we do 10 push-ups, next week we do 11, then we do 12. The danger might be though that you're going from strength to size to muscle endurance training if you simply keep on adding reps. A good rule of thumb is that if for two weeks in a row, in the last set of your exercise, you can do an additional two reps every single time, that means that the exercise is getting too easy. It's clearly not challenging enough anymore. So 
we need to see what we do now. We can either increase reps, which we said might be dangerous because we're going to end up just training for endurance, which we don't really want, or we need to find a different way to make it harder. The very obvious one here is going to be take a simple exercise like pull-ups or push-ups and simply throw on a weighted rest, get some plates, make yourself heavier, increase your body weight to make the exercise harder. That's a super efficient and very simple way of building strength that I think is great. Coming from a gymnastics background, a second way that I absolutely love is making the progression harder. Staying with the example of the push-up, you can, for example, elevate your feet, bringing more weight from the feet into the hands, ultimately making it harder for your shoulders and for your arms as you have to push more body weight. Another way of making your progression harder is by extending the body. Look, for example, at the planche or at the front lever. You start with a tuck, the tuck gets too easy, you go to advanced tuck, eventual to a straddle, even legs together. You're making it harder over time. You're finding a way to progressively overload your static planche hold or your static front lever hold. You can also increase the range that you're working on. If you elevate your hands in the push-up, you're going to be able to go a little bit deeper. Increased range means increased distance traveled, means increased workload. Your intensity is going up, you're progressively overloading. Another great one is adding a dead stop. You can, for example, do this in your pike push-up. Lower down for your headstand, take your hands off the floor for just a very hot second, and then push back up. This is going to take the principle of muscle elasticity away from you, making it significantly harder to push back up. Another great example for the pike push-up would be to lower down really, really slowly and come back up in a regular speed. Now, there's no direct evidence that changing the rep tempo is really going to make that big of a difference to your gains. But what difference this will make is that the eccentric phase, the part of lowering down, is easier as you're stronger there. So by making this part slower, staying in this part of the exercise longer, you're making it harder, and with this you're progressively overloading. You're finding a way to break plateaus. Last but not least, one more strategy that you could use when training for calisthenics is simply decreasing your resting period. I really enjoy using this when it comes to handstand endurance holds. If you're trying to get your handstand endurance up, you could, for example, do four sets of 20 seconds with 10 seconds rest in between. Then the week after, you're going to do four sets of 20 seconds with five seconds rest in between. The week after, you're going to do four sets of 25 seconds with 10 seconds rest in between. And with this, you can play around with set and rep count and, of course, the rest in between to progressively make it harder and eventually end up with a minute or two minute long handstand holds and minimal rest in between sets. An example of how we could, for example, progressively overload the pike push-up. And this is a very simplified, straightforward example. But you could do in week one and two, we're going to do sets of eight pike push-ups. Week three and four, we're going to do sets of 12 pike push-ups. Week five and six, we're going to do eight dead stop pike push-ups. And additionally, you're going to do elevated pike push-up lowers to headstands. Before then, finally reaching the last two weeks, week seven and eight, where we're going to do eight elevated pike push-ups. We started at eight regular pike push-ups. Two months later, eight weeks later, we were at eight elevated pike push-ups. You see, with this principle, with this kind of planning, you can achieve anything. You see where you're at now, where you're trying to be, and then with you fill your calendar with tiny little baby steps that you actually think realistically you can achieve, and you will achieve them. And that's fascinating because you can watch yourself grow, you can watch yourself build strength, and you can literally watch yourself check goals off your list as long as you're planning it well, staying consistent, and most importantly, creating a realistic plan that you're actually going to be able to follow through until the end. One concept that's almost always overlooked when it comes to progressive overload, but what I believe is so very important, is technical gains. Technically overloading the body. If your technique improves, your mind-muscle connection gets better. 
your efficiency in the exercise gets better. Great example, again, the front lever. For a lot of people, it's really difficult. They feel the lats in the front lever, but the lats are such a huge muscle. If you're not able to actively use your lats in the front lever, you're wasting so much opportunity of pulling into the front lever that you cannot expect to make big gains. By improving your technique, you are going to get stronger. So technique is definitely a way of progressively overloading your body. Your technique gets a little bit better every week, you get a little bit better over weeks. So even if you feel plateaued in your strength, as long as your mind-muscle connection and form of exercises improves, you're not plateaued. You are moving forward. First thing we have to do when we're considering on how to get stronger is we need to create a routine. You need to create a weekly, monthly, and year-long routine of your training. We've already established earlier that if you don't use your muscle, you're going to lose your muscle. Which really brings us to the point, your routine doesn't have to be the most efficient routine it can possibly be. Of course, that would be great, but that's not the most important point here. The most important point is that your routine is sustainable, that you can actually continuously train without creating holes within your workout plan. The first and most important thing is that your routine is safe. That's something that's especially important when training calisthenics. Calisthenics does bring, to an extent, a bigger danger than regular weightlifting or weight training for strength. You need to not overreach with your progression. You need to, of course, not fall over out of a handstand or off the bar and hurt yourself. You need to do things that you're able to do without getting injured. Of course, for this form and all of these aspects are very important. So you need to actually research the exercises that you want to do in order to do them well and to do them right. Step number two is making sure that your routine is realistic. What I mean with this, when you write your routine and you know that you come home from work at 5 and you need to go pick up your kids at 6.30 and you're writing yourself a three-hour workout for this one-and-a-half-hour block, you know that your workout routine is not realistic. It's also not realistic to think that you're going to wake up every morning at 4.30 if you have to leave your house at 5.30 so you can get an extra 45 minutes of training. You know yourself best. You know what's realistic for you. But when you set these expectations into your training routine, you need to keep in mind that you might be motivated in this particular moment and that is great. But the plan that you write in order for your plan to make sense and to function, it needs to be realistic. It needs to be a plan you can actually pull through. Last but not least, really important for this plan is also that this plan is fun. If you hate what you're doing, you're not going to stick to it. Here we have to draw a very thin and precise line. What is fun and what is efficient? The beauty here is that while strength gains are very specific, they also leave a lot of room for variety and for trying and playing around, which means that depending again on the person that you are, you can keep your training extremely repetitive and extremely linear because that's what you love, or to an extent you can do something different in every single workout, yet keep your training goal efficient and fun. It's really about getting to know what you want to do, what you enjoy doing, and then programming your training in that way. You also want to make sure that your plan is flexible enough so you can make changes along the way. For example, if you realize on Wednesday you have an event coming up on Thursday and you can't train on Thursday, you want to be able to take this training and put it on a Friday or a Saturday or maybe even split it between your Saturday and Sunday session so whilst you do skip a training, you don't lose your complete week of progress. Around this training routine, I do strongly recommend to plan your food intake. Now, I'm not saying that you should be counting every single calorie. I think that counting calories can be a good experience once or twice in your lifetime to actually get a better understanding of what calories really mean, how much food is worth how much on a scientific level. But I don't think that unless you're preparing for a bodybuilding competition, there's any reason to be tracking food to a small detail every single day. You're going to take the joy out of your entire life. Instead, plan your meals around your training Get a good pre-workout meal, get a post-workout meal, eat sensible, eat healthy, and you're going to be just fine. A big myth is this 
post-workout anabolic window. If you don't get your protein shake 90 minutes after your workout, your gains are gone. You've lost everything you did in that day. That's obviously not true. So it really doesn't work this way. Much more important is actually the meal that you have right before your workout. Because you got to see it like this. Between ingestion of the protein and absorption inside of your muscle is quite a bit of time. Depending on how fast you digest, this is going to take 90 minutes, 2 hours. It's going to take some time for this protein to go into your muscle. If you finish your training, your muscle is hungry. It wants protein in that moment. But if you only have your protein shake after, your muscle is going to stay hungry for quite some time. But if you have a good meal 90 to 60 minutes before your training, your muscle is able to absorb this protein while it's training or right after the training already. The protein is there. So arguably, the meal before your workout is more important than the meal after. But as we always say, after the training is before the training, so really all meals are important and you want to take all of them serious. Training frequency and weekly volume basically refers to how much training do we actually need to do to get stronger. Volume refers to the total work done, meaning sets times reps times intensity. If your exercise is very unintense, easy, you're going to do more reps. If your exercise is more intense, you're going to do less reps. Now, what's important to understand here is we're not talking about warm-up sets. We're talking about hard sets. A hard set meaning a set where you don't have more than two or three reps left in the tank. For hypertrophy, this is quite simple. The more work volume you do, theoretically, the more growth you're going to get. Now, of course, you can only do as much work as your body is able to recover. If you're really good at recovering, you can grow muscle quite fast because you're able to work a lot more than others. Whilst with strength, volume matters. We've already established that intensity matters so much more. It's not about how many hard sets you do, but how hard those three sets are. And we got to make them as hard as possible. We got to keep rep count low and push hard. At the end of the day, your weekly volume is going to depend on your level, your recovery ability, and your precise goals. And it's drastically going to differ from individual to individual. Every athlete needs to adjust their weekly volume towards their particular characteristics. And yes, you can do too much volume. You can only do as much volume as you're able to recover from. Modern studies show that 10 sets per week per muscle group are outstanding. An extra 10 are also good, but not as outstanding anymore. Meaning, 1 to 10 sets, every single set is going to give you a whole lot of strength gains. Set 11 till 20, they're still going to add strength gains, but not as much as these first 10. Everything after 20 sets might actually be counterproductive. They're not going to make you weaker, but they're really not going to help anymore at getting stronger. Keeping in mind that calisthenics is very technical, so for certain body parts, you will be doing more than 20 sets. But also keep in mind that towards these 20 sets, only very hard sets count. Technical sets shouldn't be as hard, meaning you wouldn't have to count them towards these 20 weekly sets anyways. On top of that, we're going to do 4 to 8 sets per isolation muscle of your body, meaning, for example, the calves, biceps, triceps, these kind of things. The one thing that you don't have to isolate and train is going to be your anterior deltoid because every single pushing exercise that we do in calisthenics, push-ups, dips, planche, handstand push-ups, everything involves the anterior deltoid, a pretty small muscle that's already completely overloaded. You do not need to include isolation exercises for your anterior deltoid. Now we've established our weekly volume. We've established that we have to do 10 strong heavy sets per muscle group. A training split refers to how you're going to take those working sets and divide them throughout your week. Say for example you would only want to do one workout per week. Doing 10 sets for each muscle group in this one workout is going to be close to impossible. 
you cannot do 10 heavy sets of shoulder work in one workout. If when you get to set 7, 8, 9, or 10, you're going to be so tired and so drained that those sets are not going to be as efficient anymore and as heavy and as strong, so you're not going to make as many gains anymore. Which is why we came up with this genius idea of having training splits. For example, a split could be two workouts per week, a two-day split. Now, instead of having to do 10 sets in each workout, you only have to do five. Now, that's already a better way of dividing a workout, and chances are high you're going to be more efficient. If you're just starting out with training, that's a great way of splitting your workout. Two days of training, plenty of time to recovery, possibly the same workout each day so you really get used to the exercises, you get to know the exercises. Ideally, you're probably going to do three or even four days per week. When you are designing your weekly training plan, it is really important that you keep in mind that your body needs to recover, meaning you cannot do chest work every single day. That would be beautiful, but we can't. You need to have at least one full day off from that particular muscle group to recover. Meaning if you do chest on Monday, the next time you're going to do this on Wednesday. The problem here, again, that we hit with calisthenics is that everything is compound. Everything is full body. Dividing your workouts to really respect all rest days can become more difficult. And you have to be quite strategic. And you're going to have to make compromises. You're probably not always going to be 100% recovered for everything. Or you might have to learn to laugh, to train a little bit less, but understand that training less doesn't have to be bad as it's going to allow you to train more intensely. Always keep in mind that you're stronger at the beginning of the week and that you're stronger at the beginning of your workout, which is why you want to put this heavy, this strong, this most important set, your most important exercise, you want to put it first. If your main goal is getting your planche better, you're going to start with your static planche hold first. If your goal is to get really good at your handstand push-ups, you're going to warm up, you're going to do your technical work, and you're going to do your hardest handstand push-up progression first in the workout, first in the week. For example, a good approach that I really enjoy using is doing these strength-based workouts, less reps, higher intensity at the beginning of the week when I'm recovered and fresh. And then towards the end of the week, I do more of like a hypertrophy day where I will do higher rep sets that are going to focus more on building size, getting a nice pump, basically hitting those muscle groups that I didn't hit as much during my strength days at the beginning of the week. High reps versus low reps. How many reps should you actually be aiming for when training? And I think this is one of the most interesting and especially most important things that we're actually going to discuss today. Rep range means how many repetitions can you do in an exercise before you cannot do any more repetitions. For example, if I'm asking you to find a push-up progression where you can do eight repetitions, you're going to try push-ups on the floor, you realize you can do 25, that's way too easy. You're going to find a way to make it harder by elevating the feet, so adding weight, whatever you're going to do. All of a sudden, you find a progression where you can do nine push-ups. Now, that's pretty good. That's one more than what I'm asking for, and that is perfect. The idea is to get within one or two more reps than what's asked. If I ask for three times eight, you do three times nine, that's fine. If you do three times 15, the exercise is not intense enough, it's not difficult enough, and we're not going to be getting the results that we're looking for. Now, we really have three options when it comes to how many reps we're going to do for an exercise. Low reps, which is traditionally speaking one to three or one to six reps, and medium rep range, which is... 6 to 12 or often 8 to 12 and a higher rep range which is 12 to say 18 35 whatever traditionally we're saying that low rep ranges 1 to 3 1 to 5 is great for strength the mid range is great for building size and this last range is for muscle endurance things have changed a little bit what modern studies have realized is that all rep ranges are good for hypertrophy all rep ranges are good to build size doesn't matter if you do 3 reps or 35 reps Size is gained no matter what. The effort in all of these sets need to be high and there shouldn't be too many reps left in the tank. But it doesn't matter if you do 3 or 35, you will gain size. 
What they did realize though is that if you're going below 20% of your one rep max, meaning you're going to do 50 to 100 reps of an exercise, there they've realized that hypertrophy is not really gained as much anymore. So there is a bottom end towards this, but to get there, you really have to do a lot of reps. So you don't really need to overthink that. Again, no general rule being, as long as you push yourself, you're going to get bigger. Now for strength, this is very different. In order to make strength gains, you have to keep your rep count low. You need to do low rep count in 10 sets. And to an extent, this can be difficult when it comes to calisthenics because doing these very low rep count sets means that your risk for injuries is higher. Think, for example, weighted pull-ups, one-arm pull-ups, all the things where you would really just be able to do like three or four reps. Just thinking of these pulling movements, you can already see how this might be a problem for your elbow, for your shoulder joints, for all of these things. And here we need to cycle back around and see how very important technique is when you're training calisthenics for strength. Another problem of just doing these low rep counts, very intense sets, is that it's very easy to actually develop bad technical habits. It's important that you mix in higher rep, low intensity sets into this mix to make sure that your technical level stays high, you stay clean and with that injury free when you're doing these very intense sets. Now an idea of course would be to really just do low rep count sets because we've realized that they're gonna give you strength and they're gonna give you size. They really give you the best of all worlds. So why would we even consider doing these higher rep count sets? As I just mentioned, one idea is to actually do these higher rep count sets in order to make sure your technique stays high and refined. But also because at the end of the day, what's very important is overall volume. You need to accumulate a lot of work throughout the week to really make those strength and size gains. Now, if you're only doing these very low rep sets that are optimal for strength gains, it's going to be hard to make the overall volume that you're supposed to make. Because you have to rest so much longer after and before these intense sets, your workouts are going to get three or even four times longer than what they would be with higher rep count sets, which means that you're going to mentally and physically simply burn out and you probably don't even have the time to spend this much time at the gym. So how can we implement these rep count rules into our daily training? One idea could be to make a general training plan with a higher rep range, basically focusing on form, focusing on technique and focusing on size gains, whilst adding one or two very intense low rep count sets at the beginning of our workout. Most of the time, that's how I train. I'll do one or two exercises of lower rep count to build the strength. And then for the rest of the workout, I'll do higher rep counts for hypertrophy, but also to focus on form and technical goals. If you're mainly training for size, an argument might be, hey, I will never do these low rep count sets because I don't need that strength. What you wanna keep in mind is that being stronger means that in your next session for size, you're going to be able to move more weight. You're going to be able to train more intense at this higher rep count. Well, if you train more intensely at this higher rep count, you're going to make more hypertrophy gains. So yes, getting stronger is very interesting for you as well. Plus, always keep in mind, if you're getting stronger at this lower rep count, you're building just as much size as you'd be building at this higher rep count. I think at the end of the day, it's really just important that you figure out for yourself what do you need, what do you want, what is your current goal, then you focus most of your energy and time onto this particular goal. The third rep range that we didn't discuss so much just now is the higher end rep range. Anything more than 12 or 15 reps per exercise. There's more and more scientific evidence that shows that doing this many reps might not be as beneficial as previously believed. This is very true for traditional bodybuilding and strength building athletes. For a calisthenics athlete, that is not exactly true. 
working at a higher rep range is going to allow you to build resistance to fatigue, meaning you're going to be able to train more and to train longer without getting as tired. And this is key when it comes to making technical gains in calisthenics. Think, for example, the bar muscle-up. There's a combination of strength, explosiveness, and technique here, and, of course, body awareness and all these things. And if you're only able to do three or four in every session before you're completely burned out, it's going to be very difficult to really figure out the timing and the flow of the exercise. But if you have reserves, if you feel good and you're able to do 20, 25 without really getting tired or sore or anything at all, you're going to be able to make technical gains so much faster. Same for, say, for example, if you want to perfection your skin the cut. If you're able to do many of them, you're going to be able to focus on things such as compression. Same for your handstands. If you're hoping to learn a one-arm handstand, but you can only stand for 5 or 10 seconds, it's going to be very difficult to figure out alignment and all of these things. Build up this resistance to fatigue. You're going to be able to spend more time training, and in your next technique block, you're going to make so many more gains so much faster and so much less interrupted. Additionally, doing these higher rep count sets are going to release a metabolic stress, a metabolic byproduct inside of your muscle, which are believed to, again, help with strength and size gains. Resting between your sets is essential for you to regain your strength and to prepare physically, but also mentally for the next set. How long exactly you rest does make quite a big impact to your training. Generally speaking, resting longer is going to be better. If you're training for hypertrophy, you should rest at least one minute in between each set. If you're doing these very low rep, very high intensity strength sets, you can rest three to up to five minutes. You just want to make sure you stay warm as you rest and you stay mentally engaged with the exercise that you're doing. One problem of doing these longer rests is that your workouts are going to get significantly longer. If after every set you have to rest for five minutes, in half an hour you can only do six sets which is why it's difficult to do a lot of very low rep, very high intensity sets in one workout. Time management does become a very big thing here. Generally speaking, you're never really gonna rest for less than one minute. There are really two ideas why you would rest shorter. Number one, if you're doing supersets of opposite muscle groups, but then, yes, your actual time resting is less, but the muscle that you're working still rests more than a minute because you're spending, say, 45 seconds doing the opposite muscle group, the superset exercise, then you take your 20 seconds rest and you go again. 45 seconds plus 20 seconds is actually a minute and five, so you even rested longer than a minute. The other approach or idea of why you'd want to rest less than one minute is to create a bit of a metabolic stress, to create a sweat and to burn fat. I enjoy training like this a lot. I enjoy high-intensity styled circuit workouts, these kind of things. I love them. I sweat, I work hard, I think they're great. On a scientific level for fat burning, they might not be as great as we actually think. If you really want to burn fat, focus on building muscle, focus on your diet, and you're going to see the results you're looking for. If you should train until failure, it's a very big question that comes up a lot. Training till failure is basically you do pull-ups until you cannot do one more clean pull-up, or you do push-ups until you collapse. Honestly, I don't think you should, and let me explain why. First, coming back to the idea that we're training calisthenics, which has a certain amount of danger to your body. If you're pushing until you cannot support your weight anymore, until you cannot go any further, chances are really high you will get injured. Taking, for example, the one-arm pull-up. There are plenty of athletes who can just do one single one-arm pull-up. They're basically training their one rep max. They're training every time that they go up there to failure. That's terrible for your elbow. It's terrible for your shoulders. It's even terrible for your back. Your risk of injury becomes super high. Reason number two why I don't think you should regularly train until failure is because your recovery toll is going to be massive. If you're pushing your muscle until it completely gives way, 
you have to rest so very long, not only before the next set, but also before your next workout, that it's going to be impossible to hit your weekly volume to actually get a consistent training routine. Instead of doing exercises where you can only do one rep or pushing yourself until the very end, choose exercises that make sense where you can hit the planned rep count and work then. Choosing the right exercise is essential when it comes to strength gains and especially essential when it comes to strength gains and calisthenics. Now from the start right away we gotta say that as we mentioned strength gains are very specific meaning if you want to gain strength in your front lever you have to train front levers. Yet you want to keep in mind that you can isolate the muscles used in the front lever and then train those muscles and your front lever is going to improve. So takeaway point right now is basically strength is specific so you need to train exactly for what you should be training but at the same time everything is the same and you can train whatever you want. It gets confusing but it only gets confusing when you're really overthinking it. But let's take it one step at a time. First of all you need to establish that we're focused on building strength not skill. Certain exercises are good for building strength and others are way too technical that strength gains are not going to be optimal. Take for example the 90 degree push-up. Anybody who can do a 90 degree push-up or has seen a 90 degree push-up before understands that they are very demanding and they're very difficult on a strength level but also on a technical level. Yet I would not program a 90 degree push-up in order to build strength. It's difficult to even pinpoint where exactly the strength is built. Core, back, shoulders, triceps, kind of everything is being engaged, everything is working. Plus there's a big aspect for timing, for balance, for all of these things. If I want to focus on strength, I want to try to keep it simple. Handstand push-up, regular push-up, dip, pull-up, row, front lever row, those kind of things. Break it down to the essentials, find drills and skills that are easy, that don't take too much focus or where things can't really go wrong and then they are built for strength. The real problem when it comes to calisthenics is that almost all exercises are compound exercises, meaning your entire body is working. Now that's a beautiful thing because you get to work out your entire body, your entire body chain gets to work as one thing and gets to connect. That is super cool. That's very functional, but it's also very difficult when it comes to training programming. It becomes impossible to isolate a muscle. It is completely impossible to do an exercise that's just for your lats or just for your biceps or just for your shoulders or just for your anterior deltoid. Everything always involves other muscles. And this means that this is a breeding ground for imbalances and unfortunately for injuries. Which is why I strongly recommend you to choose exercises outside of the calisthenics world that are going to help you isolate the muscles so you can focus on weak points inside of your body. This can be through the help of elastics, through the help of free weights, dumbbells, or if you use your rings in a TRX styled way of training. When you're now choosing these exercises that you're going to use for your strength gains, it really becomes clear how important form is when training calisthenics. In this particular case, for two reasons. Reason number one, health. If your form is not great, your risk of injury improves. Think, for example, of the pike push-up. If you're lacking strength, your form is not great, you're pushing up a very arched back, you might actually hurt your back, you're not going to break something, but you're definitely going to get a muscle spasm. You won't be able to train for a while. You won't be able to sit straight for a while, these kind of things. Second thing is if your exercise is not clean, if you're not doing the correct form, you're not going to be hitting the muscle you're trying to hit. Looking again at the pike push-up, this of course should be a shoulder and triceps exercise. If you're leaning your shoulders too far towards the front, upper body comes up, hips come down, this turns more into a chest exercise, you're not getting the shoulder gains. Now training shoulder and chest is quite simple in calisthenics because almost every single pushing exercise is going to hit those muscles. So whilst of course you want to do your pike push-up as good as possible, it's not that big of a deal. 
it becomes a bigger deal when we get towards rows and especially the front lever. If your shoulders lose retraction during the front lever, if they slide towards the front, you're not going to be able to engage your lats anymore. You're not using your lats during your front lever. When are you really going to use your lats training calisthenics? And here it becomes really clear how important it is that you choose exercises that are correct for you, that are at the correct level for you, and that you do them right. Because if you don't do your front lever correctly, and your front lever is your only lat isolation exercise in your three, six, or nine months training plan, then it can happen come Christmas, come the end of the year. You think you train your entire body, but you never really train your lats. And that's, of course, a problem. We need to create a training plan that allows us to stay well-balanced, to get stronger everywhere, so we don't create imbalances and we don't get injured. When you're not training for strength, you should be using these technical periods of your training to refine your technique, to get better at hitting this perfect form to make sure your exercises are efficient, healthy, and actually hit the muscles that you want. A rule of thumb is that if you realize that there's a problem, find the problem, isolate the problem, and then work on the problem specifically. If you're falling out of your handstand push-up, practice your handstands, practice handstand push-up leans. Get better at the transition between the push-up and the handstand. If your back arches as you're coming up in a press-to-handstand or a starter press-to-handstand, practice very rounded tuck planche lift. And if you lose protraction during your planche, meaning you're not going to be able to use your shoulders efficiently anymore because your shoulder blades are sliding out towards the back, practice scapular push-ups. It is quite simple. Find the problem, work on the problem, then add intensity to make it a strength exercise. But you always have to start with technical things first. A question that comes up all the time when we talk about strength and calisthenics is, is it better to train static exercises or rep-based exercises? The planche and the front lever being the prime example. Theoretically, it doesn't matter. If we follow the science, the rules say as long as you stress the body, as long as you stress the muscle sufficiently, hypertrophy and strength gains will happen. In my point of view, it's a no-brainer that this movement-based exercise is going to be the better choice for you. Let me explain why. Strength gains are specific. If I'm training the rep-based exercise where I'm going in and out of my final goal position, I'm building strength in the final goal position and everywhere around it. That is great. I'm building control, I'm building awareness, I'm getting so many free gains along the way. And additionally, if I'm sliding out of this perfect position that I'm trying to be in, I'm going to have the strength and coordination to either push myself back or at least not collapse and get injured. If I'm training just the static hold exclusively, I'm only getting stronger in the static hold. Now, yes, of course, you're going to get better slightly faster in the static hold if you're exclusively training the static hold. But maybe you can get better a little bit slower, but instead get better in all the other positions around it. Also, there is a risk factor to it if you're just training the static hold. The static hold most likely is going to be the most difficult part of the rep-based exercise. Meaning, instead of going in and out of very high intensity, you're staying in the highest intensity for the entire duration of the exercise. We said earlier, high intensity often means lower reps, which means less hold time, which means increased risk for injuries. That's why you want to be careful. You need to keep it specific but you also want to make compromises to see what's the most efficient and the healthiest way. Now, while straining legs really is going to require all the same principles of progressive overload and simply hard work, I believe that training legs does deserve a special mention in this episode. Because here's the thing. When it comes to training legs, you might see where calisthenics-style training, bodyweight-style training might actually hit its limitations. See it this way. Calisthenics means using your own body to progressively overload your muscles and to build muscle. 
Now this is easy considering that we don't really use our arms that much for everyday life. But now our legs, we use them every day. You're walking, you're walking up the stairs, and you're possibly even carrying groceries or furniture up the stairs. So you're already training your legs every single day, all day long, using your own body weight. So we need to get a little bit more creative. Ideas could of course be using harder progressions, pistol squats, sissy squats, deep lunges, these kind of things. They're not gonna be enough. Adding weights through a backpack, water bottles, books, a pet, a child, another human being. Of course, great ideas, but realistically speaking, six months from now, they will also not be enough. Now I know it's the calisthenics scene and well, what do we do with leg day? We skip it, we don't do leg day because really who wants legs? We can wear long pants, nobody's gonna see those legs anyways. For planches, for levers, for handstands, they're probably just gonna make things harder, so why would you even train legs? Well, because you don't wanna look ridiculous. If you don't train your legs, you're gonna end up looking like a chicken or possibly even like a turkey, like a really big chicken but tiny little legs. Ridiculous. People are gonna make fun of you, I don't want that for you, so you have to train legs. Additionally, of course, there are many health benefits and health factors. For me personally, training legs really sorted out my back pain. My whole body started feeling significantly healthier. But just think about it. If your legs are tiny and your upper body is getting bigger and bigger and heavier and heavier, you're gonna get unstable in everyday life because your legs are simply not big enough to support the weight of your upper body. Additionally, you have to remember that your legs are the biggest muscles inside of your body. So if you wanna have a cheat meal, or in general, if you're in this game for losing weight, for losing fat, training your legs is gonna be your best approach because making the biggest muscle of your body tired is gonna make it hungry and now this muscle can eat all the fat storage that you have left inside of your body. Long story short, I really recommend to you when it comes to training legs, start picking up the barbell, work on your squats, work on your deadlifts, do actual weightlifting when it comes to legs in order to progressively overload them and to truly train them. If you're gonna train your legs simply using the elastics and body weight only, you're gonna very quickly get to a point where you have to do a very, very, very high rep count to actually feel a burn and to get anywhere close to failure. Now, yes, we did say rep count doesn't matter as much for hypertrophy, anything works. But we also established more than 50 or 55 reps and you might have to do that for your legs is not gonna help as much for hypertrophy anymore. So really, you're losing everything. Simply pick up some weights, stop being so proud. Last but not least, we should talk about periodization and deload. Two concepts that are actually really not as important for beginners. If you've just been training for two or possibly even three years, you don't really have to think about this too much. Periodization basically means to organize your training for maximum gains, meaning to plan the long-term factor of your training to make sure that you can consistently get stronger, focus your rep counts differently, focus on different aspects of your training to consistently overload your body. If you're just getting started with training, making gains is very easy. You can simply do one more push-up every week and that's going to work for the first two to three years. Only when you're starting to be at a rather elevated level, this periodization becomes important to make sure you don't plateau and to make sure to constantly give your body and your muscle new stimuli to be able to continue to grow efficiently and consistently. The way that I like to periodize my own or my client's calisthenics training is that we're gonna go into one to three month cycles. We're first gonna go on a technique cycle. Here we're gonna work towards our technical goals through progressions. We're gonna make it a little bit harder every week, every month, and see how far can we go within these three to six to 12 weeks, however long the cycle is gonna be. Here we're gonna work towards our technical calisthenics goals. 
we're basically going to progressively overload with the help of progressions. We're going to make the exercise a little bit harder every week and see where we can go in this one to three month cycle. Now at the end of the cycle, we draw a line. We understand we are here. From here, we're going to go into a one to three month strength cycle. We're going to mix low rep sets for high intensity and for strength gains with the higher rep sets for size gains. This is going to have two advantages. Building extra size is going to help us apply more pressure later, but also having the higher rep count sets is going to allow us to focus a bit more on form and to get the body used to these exercises that we're using to build the extra strength. Because this next cycle, the third cycle of the year, this cycle is somewhat optional, is a pure strength-based cycle. Here we're really going to cut the rep counts down quite a bit to push strength as much as possible. We know based on this first cycle which strength we need for our goals. In the second cycle, we actually practice those exercises to get really good at those strength exercises. Our mind is ready, our joints are ready, everything is prepared that now for one to three months, we're going to focus on really maximizing our strength gains with low rep count exercises, high intensity, hard work. We're going to get strong before we then go into our last cycle, which is going to be another technical cycle where once again with progressions overload our body and continue to advance towards our calisthenics goals. But this time it's going to be much easier because from the first technical cycle, we know the technique of the exercises, but from these last two strength cycles, we gained all of this extra strength. We can put all of this together and shoot straight away towards our finish line. This is well rehearsed and this always works. As long as you stay consistent and you believe in the progress and throughout the entire thing, you stay healthy, responsible, injury-free and consistent, you're going to get there and you're going to see your results go skyrocket. Now for very advanced athletes who are really consistent with their training, who let nothing get in the way of their training, a deload week can be very appropriate. The idea of a deload week is that after a time of very intense work, you're going to do less intense work for a week. For example, you're going to cut the intensity, the weight moves, the progressions down to 50%. We want to make it easier. This will allow your joints and your soft tissue and your entire body, but also your mind to recover and to regain this fire before your next cycle. Generally speaking, it is extremely rare that I program deload weeks for myself or for my clients. None of us are professional athletes. We all have a real life. We have significant others, family, pets, work, school, no matter what your responsibilities are in life, every once in a while, they get a little bit messy. They, get, they need a little bit more attention and your training usually cuts back automatically. Naturally, it has to. You're not a professional athlete. You're not paid to train. So when life gets serious, training usually gets a little bit less. Like this, you create natural deload weeks. Be honest with yourself. When is the last time that for six weeks you let nothing distract you from your training? Probably a long time ago. Secondly, in calisthenics, we don't actually necessarily need to do deload weeks, but let me explain why. Instead of seeing it as a deload week, you can just put in technical weeks. During your technical week, you're practically doing a deload week. You're training less intense and you're focusing on technical gains. You're focusing on mind-muscle connection, hand balancing abilities, creating mechanical advantages through better alignment, all of these things. You do this every once in a while for a week. You have your deload weeks, but they're not going to feel like deload weeks because you're still working very hard, just not as intensely as you're not doing these super difficult progressions or you're not doing the pull-ups with the extreme weight on top of it. Now, to recap, I want to create a list of golden rules of calisthenic strength training. Basically, look at all the things that I just explained 
put them down for you so you can use this as a checklist when creating your next color settings routine. Number one, work hard and stay consistent. Stop chasing a perfect routine. You're always going to ask yourself, maybe this is better, maybe that is better. If you're making progress, you have the perfect routine. Perfection at the gym can often hold you back. Do what feels right and stay consistent. Number two, constantly challenge your body. Progressive overload is key. You need to do something a little bit harder every single week. You can either add weight, you can change your rep count or rep tempo, or you can change your progression by making things harder, elevating your feet, elevating your hands, whatever it's going to be. Number three, train specifically for what you're trying to get. Stop seeing strength just as this adaptation inside of your body, but look at strength as a skill, especially in calisthenics. If you improve the exercises that you're doing in order to gain strength, if you improve your alignment, your mind-muscle connection, your technique, your form, you're already going to feel and perform stronger than you did before. Choose exercises that are simple enough for you to actually build strength. Fancy exercises often don't build more strength. Dips, push-ups, and handstand push-ups are great. 90-degree push-ups look cool, but on a strength-building aspect, they might be too difficult, too technical, so require too much timing and too much balance to actually be efficient to build strength. Do sets with less reps for strength and sets with higher reps to practice form, to gain size, and to hit your overall weekly volume. Rest for one to five minutes between exercises depending on how intense the set was. Train each of the main muscle groups for 10 to 20 hard sets per week. Train your isolation muscles for about eight sets per week. Don't focus on anterior deltoid isolation because with your handsome push-ups, regular push-ups, and planches, they're getting plenty of attention already. Try to stay away from failure unless very specifically planned. And last but not least, create a fun, sustainable, and especially safe routine. Get your protein, get your eight hours of sleep, and make those gains. I promise to you, Building strength is nothing magical. It's been well-researched and well-documented. Yes, every single body is specific. You have to take all of these amendments, you have to take these principles and adjust them towards your specific body. Every single body reacts slightly differently to different stimuli. But at the end of the day, the core principle, progressive overload, rest, and hard work will sustain. You will get stronger. Thank you so much for listening. I'm going to see you soon. Let's get strong.